I'm Jake Thompson, and this is the Better Than Yesterday podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Better Than Yesterday podcast, where we talk to entrepreneurs, athletes, and influencers, as well as everyday competitors just like yourself, on how they compete to be better than yesterday. We dissect their habits, we learn about their mindsets, and we see what from their journey we can apply to our own lives in our pursuit of being better every single day. Today is absolutely no different as I get to welcome to the show good friend Holly Lilbear Lawson. Holly has quite the career having been a top five welterweight women's boxer, done a Bellator, Bellator MMA fighter, California Golden Gloves champion, and now celebrity trainer to some of the biggest names in Hollywood that you watch up on the big screen. This conversation <laughs> It took a left turn from where we intended it to go and is one of the most authentic, real, and raw episodes you're going to hear on the Better Than Yesterday show. It's probably our longest episode, but it's one of the most powerful ones as Holly shares some very intimate, personal details of her past and really where she went from rock bottom, an abusive relationship, a, a mindset shattered from the abuse that she suffered in a relationship to how she dug herself out, dusted herself off, and rose through the ranks, not only in boxing, but in life. Today is one hell of a great show, and so I'm excited to welcome to the show good friend Holly Lawson. Holly, welcome to the show. How are you tonight? I'm great. How are you? Great. I uh, Man, I'm excited. So we got connected in Vegas a few years ago at a yes. conference. Uh, but, you know, I've been a huge fan of you since we met. Just your overall swagger and attitude about life. Uh, I know after that chance, we got a chance to follow each other. And, and I've been a huge fan of who you are and what you're about. But for everybody listening, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and then I'm totally diving into your fight history. Okay. Um, and likewise, I think the feeling is mutual because I'm so proud of you and the business you built. Because when I met you, I think you were just starting it. Yeah, it's pretty young it out of the like gate. It was conceptual. Yeah. And that's really dope. So like, I'm real, I'm always so proud to see people that I like, like as human beings, like when they do well, it just makes me feel good about the world. Like, I mean, yes, there's some good people doing good stuff and people support it. And that's so cool because there's so much stuff out there that's not cool. And people seem to buy into a lot of like garbage sometimes. So it's cool to me when I see businesses that are like, I believe in that are succeeding. Like that makes my heart happy. Well, thank you. And I saw you hesitate, but I know you meant to say when people were buying into <laughs> shit, I, I saw it in your eye. Uh, and I a hundred percent agree. So I, uh, thank There's you a lot for of the very out kind there. words. So we can discuss this. I have so much. To, I, I mean, I have, I, I have no problem talking about the bullshit that's like out there. I mean, Instagram pedals, a lot of it. There's a whole thing with the fitness industry these days. There's like, yeah, we'll go there. Um, so my name is Holly Lawson. I am a professional fighter. I haven't fought since 2014. I had an MMA fight, but 2012 was the last time I had a boxing match, and boxing is my love. Um, and I'm a personal trainer, uh, which I love. I kind of fall more into the, like, it sounds cheesy, and I haven't figured out the exact vernacular that I need to use, but a lot of like life coaching with my clients. So I'm very hands-on. I'm very involved with the people I work with and, uh, but I'm a trainer. And so what I try to do is figure them out and figure out how I can make them into the baddest version of themselves. My deal is I want everybody to be a superhero. I love it. And and as much as you, you said you kind of didn't know how to phrase it, but the, the mental aspect is as important as the physical because I mean, more. yeah, more because the, the mental drives the physical growth to a lot of degrees. It, it helps with the discipline and the motivation. But I mean, there's people out there that you look at and they just have the swagger 
and they have the confidence and you would see someone else that physically you're like, oh yeah, they're, they're such a badass. Like look at them. And there's no mental fortitude. There's no, uh, you know, mentality around it, but the people that have that swagger have that confidence, not cockiness, but that true confidence, they're unstoppable in every aspect of their life. Right. And that's, and that's my deal is like, I really think that most people need to understand that they possess that superhero and like most everybody has that ability. And, you know, it's not about the physical, it's really more about the mental emotional. And part of my deal is like, you should want to be a good fucking person. Like, forget looking ripped, forget having abs, forget selling stuff online, like all of that stuff, like that comes secondary to me, to being a good human being and making a difference in the world and leaving a change behind you and helping some people come up, you know, behind you and alternately like developing a space in your world, wherever that is, that you have a team of people or group of people, a family, whatever you want to call them, a squad, like you need to develop that. And the problem is I think there's a lot of people in the world who are not included in that. And the fitness industry really is a space that is very isolated and it's, it's very, very specific. Like it, it, it caters to a very specific clientele and a very specific group of people. And I, myself, like I'm a professional athlete, but I'm a boxer and I'm a boxer because I love boxing. I love the, the mental aspect of boxing. I love that boxing is about, hitting somebody and not getting hit. And it's not even necessarily the physical act of the hitting somebody, although that's kind of fun too. <laughs> it's just, like, it's, it's more about thinking four moves ahead and being able to make somebody else do something so I can counter that. And that was always the part about boxing that I loved. And really boxing was something that I started, um, I started to get in shape. I was overweight and I was really, I've always been really self-conscious. So I grew up in a really white community in Canada and I was never really athletic. And I kind of was always, um, tall for my age, but not because I was self-conscious and I didn't have a lot of self-confidence. I was always like the best person on the B team without trying. So basically like I never wanted to put any effort into anything, um, because I didn't want to be noticed and because I didn't want to fail. And because, I never felt myself being included. So I'm really, I mean, I think if you follow me or if you listen to me or if you see the people I work with, even I'm a really big supporter of the underdog and like the other, like I consider myself other in all of the fields that I'm in. I'm very much not a typical boxer. I'm very much not a typical female boxer. I'm very much not a typical trainer. I'm very much not a typical celebrity trainer. Like I'm very much not a typical person for LA and the fitness industry is something that I love and I love many aspects of it. And I feel like it's a very good tool for me to, to help people, but there's so much more to me. Like I'm an artist and I'm a fine painter first. Like that's the thing that I love and I love hip hop and I come from a music background. So there's those aspects of me, I think make me understand and appreciate this space of like, and I call it like the other dumb. And there's so many people in the world that I actually think there's more of us that consider ourselves other than there are people who are the norm, right? Like the people who consider themselves the norm that we consider the norm, they're actually the minority, but because they tend to do a better job of putting themselves forward and demanding space and commanding space and people and businesses cater to them, we forget that there's so many people out there that are not, that don't fall within that spectrum really. Right. And, um, so that was my deal with boxing. I started boxing. I just took a class cause I liked it and you know, I, I needed to get in shape and it was the first sport that I found. And I was an adult when I started boxing. How old so were you when you started boxing? I was 26. Um, no, I was 25. And I, uh, I just, I mean, I did it all the time because I loved it. And they were like, you're, you're good. You should go to a boxing gym. And I went to a boxing gym and I just, I remember I walked in a wild card and that's Manny Pacquiao's home gym and Freddie Roach was sitting at the counter and he was like, so I worked at a record shop. This gives you a little bit of insight into me. Like I worked at a record shop. I ran the dance hall department in the record shop. I'm a total record nerd. Like though the people at the record shop are my family still to this day. Um, and the owner used to be an amateur boxer and he was like, there's a really good gym just down the street. And Amoeba music is like, four blocks from wild card. So he took me down to wild card and I met Freddie 
and he was like, Oh, come in, whatever. And he was, it's been the same. And I remember walking in those doors and just being like, yeah, like this is my shit. This is, this is the thing that feels good to me. And I would go every day before work and I would work out. And I, for many years I've had different careers and I, you know, I would go in and I would train. I just did it because I loved it and I didn't want to pursue it professionally because it just didn't seem to be that many options really. And also part of it was my really was, it was confidence thing. So like, I wasn't sure enough of myself to be like, yeah, I'm going to be a world champion or yeah, I'm going to win. Like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, what changed? So when I was 29, I um, was running an art gallery and we had a boutique and a gallery and we sold like design based street stuff. So we sold like Jose Parla prints and we had a show with Jonathan Mannion, who's a amazing photographer. So we were the first place to have an exhibit of his um, really great, like modern design and street art. Um, and I was there and I don't really know if it was like one second, but there was some things that happened in my life within that year. One of them was that I met a guy that I started dating and, um, he's a really big like proponent of following your passion. And he was the first person who was like, you want to box? Like, why don't you box? Like, what, what do you need to do box? Like, well, why are you not doing this? This is what you love. Like, why are you not trying it? And, um, and I just kind of went like gung ho from there. And I did something crazy was that Wildcard was my home and I had been training with this trainer, Eric Brown for many years, but I felt like I wasn't getting, I felt like I was kind of looked at like they really loved me, but I didn't feel like I got the training and the, the knowledge. Like I felt like because I was a woman and I thought it was because I was a woman and there was like not a lot of opportunity for money to be made by me or on me. So because of that, I wasn't getting the same knowledge and depth of knowledge that the men would get. And at that time, another boxer I know knew this guy who was a trainer and he had trained a bunch of female world champions. And I met him and we just clicked and I was like, Oh man, this is the guy. Like he's going to teach me all this stuff. And he has these chicks who are world champions. I'm like, yes, I want to dedicate two years of my life to my, this This is what I'm going to do. And, um, this is a crazy story. This is like an example of like somewhat how crazy I am, but it's also how like a hundred percent I go and everything. So I meet this guy and he lives in LA, but he's from Texas and he's in the process of moving back to Texas when I meet him. And he's like, Oh fuck. Like I wish I, he was like, I would have, he had sold his house. He was like, I wouldn't have sold my house. Like I would have stayed in LA to train you if I knew that I was, you know, cause I, he was like, I know you're going to be a champion. Cause like we worked out twice and he was like, you have everything you need to be a champion. And I just made this decision. I was like, fuck it. I'm gonna move to Lubbock, Texas. And train with him. <laughs> Shit. I didn't know you lived there. Yeah. I lived in Lubbock for close to a year. So I, I worked for four months. He moved to Lubbock, which is where he was from, like outside of Lubbock. And, um, I saved money. I worked three jobs. So I was working at the gallery. I worked at, um, there was a sports club. I worked there and then I was bartending on the weekends at a club downtown and I don't drink. I, I drink a little now, but I, I wasn't drinking at all at the time. And so I would just, I would work these three jobs and I would hustle and I save money. And, um, my best friend and I drove uh, a U-Haul truck full of my stuff with my dog to the Lubbock, Texas. I rented an apartment without seeing it. Like I was like, fuck it. I'm gonna move to Texas. Like, I don't know. I've never been to, t- I've like driven through Texas, but never really stayed there. I don't know what Lubbock is like. And, and I moved not to Lubbock. Much, not I'm, much there. I mean, there's a lot of like segregation, which was crazy. So I'm Canadian, but, um, I lived in LA for many years. And so it was really a culture shock for me coming from Canada, like Canada to LA. Texas was, I mean, it was rough. I didn't know anybody. I knew, um, I knew the one guy and he was a little bit of a weirdo, like not in a bad way, but he was just socially kind of weird. So like, it's not like I hung out with him when we weren't training. So I would train with him once a day and I would run and, or sometimes I train with him twice a day. And then I, I got a job like waiting tables because there was nothing else to do in Lubbock, Texas. And I mean, that's what I did. I luckily, um, I think this is, and this is like a theme and I'm sure that this has happened to you too. I found that, um, I mean, it's just, it, it's, 
it's it's whatever it is. It's it's God's will. It's it's destiny. It's it's all of these things, right? It's all of those things that line up for you. And I feel like when you're on your path that you should be walking, little tiny pieces will connect in a way that will make your path. Maybe it won't be easier at the time, but when you look back at it, you'll be like, look at that door that that opened for me, or look at this opportunity, or this guided me in this direction that brought me to where I am. So I lived in Texas and I had a friend in LA, his name is Will, he works in radio. And he was like, you know, I have a friend who, um, who runs the only hip hop station in West Texas and it's in, in Lubbock. And he was like, let me call him and have him just look out for you. So he called his friend whose name is Magoo, which is also hilarious. And he was like, my girl's moving to Texas. She's from LA. She doesn't know anybody. She's moving to Lubbock. Can you just look out? And the dude was like, he's just a, a good heart. You know, the first week I moved, he called and he was like, are you okay? What do you need? Let me come get you. Why don't you come kick it at the station with me? And you know, Texas is like really big culture shock for me. Like I'm West Indian. I'm well traveled. Like I, I didn't know what I was doing. So it was cool for me to meet somebody that I could kind of like relate to. And when he was, so he had people working in the station and his DJs, um, he had morning DJs, and one of them, a woman, she and I were really cool. And her husband happened to be, he was the wide receiver coach at Texas Tech. And this was when Mike Leach was the head coach at Texas Tech. And so I had never, like, I'm an Eagles fan because, and that's a whole other story, but like, I'd never been to like a college football game. I like, I didn't understand that like football was crazy. Like I didn't know any of these Did things. Did you throw a tortilla? No. You know, they throw tortillas at games in Lubbock. No, but so I didn't. So Dennis, his name's Dennis. So Dennis was the wide receiver coach at Texas Tech. And Dennis and I became like this. Like, I'm still his little sister. He's actually at Oklahoma now. He's coaching with the Sooners. Um, I'm so proud of him. And they just took me in. So him and Mike Leach, like Dennis is my dude and Mike loved me. And they let me train at the stadium. Oh, that's awesome. So my only friends in Texas were the team. And at the time he had Michael Crabtree was there. Uh, and Crabtree was his guy because he was the receiver coach. So I would go with him and we would dry, drop Crab off at his classes and stuff. And the first game I went to was the Texas Tech-Texas game <laughs> where Crabtree made the catch in the last like yeah. two seconds of the game. And that was on a broken ankle. Like what people don't understand is that he had taped his ankle up so he could play in a game. He was in a cast, like a walking cast leading up to the game and a walking cast immediately after that game. Like that kid played that game on a broken ankle. Oh. I saw him the next day and he was like, Holly, did you have fun? And he's like very shy and super nice. And I was like, yeah, it was so great. I was like, it's so exciting. He was just like, yeah, you just don't think that football is always going to be like that. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that, was, be that, exciting. that was one of the hardest games for me. So I was raised by two tech grads. Oh, okay. uh, so red and black growing up was, was my, my jam. But uh, the kid that dropped the interception the play before Crabtree mm -hmm. scored is mm -hmm. one of my boys. Uh, oh. I played for his dad in high school and he was an 18 year old true freshman. And yeah. so I remember that being nauseous and then tech wins. And so it was like excitement because Ooh. tech wins. Yeah. And then I was like, Oh no, oh. but still That's probably so top three greatest games I've ever seen in my life. Well, and that was the first football game I'd ever gone Spoiled. to. So I love football. Just so you know, like I love football and I actually give Michael Crabtree like all of the benefits <laughs> of like me loving football as much as I love football because that was like the most exciting thing in the world. I was like, what? um, yeah, so I ended up in Texas. This is a long story. No, there, but I love I it. Texas, um, and, uh, you know, I trained every day and, eventually the relationship with the trainer just fell apart. Like it was just awkward and I got homesick, but I was there for a year and it was really, I've been by myself since I was really young. So I'm used to being independent, but it was a space where I didn't know anybody. Um, so let me ask you about that. Cause that, that's one of the things that intrigues me of you're pursuing this passion, this goal, you move cross country almost. Uh, I mean, huge change going out to Lubbock. But it had to be lonely, like during a lot yeah. of that, like you made all these connections, but it was still incredibly lonely mentally. How did you handle that year? Did you rely on those relationships? Did you, that you built, did you 
build new habits or, or try new things just to keep you at least engaged instead of completely isolated? Um, well, so what is really interesting, and, and this kind of says a lot about me too, I, you know, I spoke to my best friend every day. And at the time I was in this relationship with this guy who lived, he had lived out of state anyway, and he would come to see me. Um, and that was really important to me. Like that was obviously, you know, a pillar in my life, but the other, and this was what I was saying about, you know, small doors open. So the Texas tech thing is a door that opened like Dennis and I are still very, very close. Like that, that is still a place in my life that like, you know, that he was at Washington state with Mike Leach and they came in to see me at wildcard a few years ago. And everybody was like, how the hell do you know Mike Leach? It's so weird. Like why is Mike Leach coming to visit you? So weird, but that happened. But the other thing that happened was my best friend drove out with me and she was flying back to LA and she was really, she, I remember we got there and we went to Walmart to buy a vacuum or something. And we were looking around and she was like, Holly, are you going to be okay? Like, I know you're going to be okay, but are you going to be okay? Like, look at this. And she's like LA born and bred. So she was just like, so she gets on this flight to come home to LA and there's a couple sitting next to her and they're an older couple, an older white couple. And they, she just started talking to them and they said, Oh, her mother lived in LA. So they were coming to visit, you know, her parents or something. And she was like, you know, my friend just moved to Lubbock. I'm kind of scared. And they were like, Oh, give her my phone number or give me her number. I'll call her. And so when they came back to Lubbock, they like adopted me. Like they loaned me a truck. They like, they took me on. They had a son who was older than me, who was grown who was older than me, who lived out of the country. But they, I hung out with them, and they were so great. They were like Harley Davidson driving, belonged to a car club, like total Texas, but the nicest people in oh, that love I, it. my life, and just took me in. And you know, I, I remember going to like car club shows with them and their friends, and they're older; they're in their sixties. So like, I was twenty, and I was. 30. <laughs> Going to these car club shows, these like I'd be with twenty like older white couples, and everyone was like, "What is going on?" But it was so great for me. Um, in terms of the loneliness, like for sure, it really was a a thing. I would ride my bike, um, I would run, and running has always been kind of my solace. Um, but it was it was good for my growth too. I think I really had some time to. Um, face some stuff personally. That was like a time in my life when I dealt with like some childhood trauma and I really like did a lot of self work, you know? Um, I, I know that it's a thing now that people talk about and it's like, it's a for real thing, but you can't do it. Sorry. There's a cat that's trying to like, wander. Yeah, that's <laughs> they can, what I they can join the show. Yeah. He is kind of annoying. Um, he's currently biting the computer. So yeah. So I did just a bunch of self work. Like I just spent a lot of time by myself and it was just a lot of growth, you know? And I think that sometimes you'll find pockets in your life where it's a little rockier and, and, and it's struggle, but those are the times when like you really need to look inwards and you really need to figure out like, okay, what's not working? Why is this not working? Where, where do I want to go? What does that look like? Uh, what is my place in the problem? Like what have I been carrying around that's held me back so long or, you know, I think especially now people are so engaged all day, right? Like we're in front of a screen, we have a phone, there's people everywhere. There's just like TVs and noise. And I live in LA, so there's cars and there's traffic and there's, there's all of this stuff. But like, sometimes you just need to be alone. Sometimes you just need to sit in yourself and self-assess and be comfortable with just having yourself. Well, be uncomfortable. Be terrified and just be like lonely as hell and, and understand what that feels like and, and look at this giant massive sky and watch a thunderstorm roll in and realize that you made this decision to move to this place that has thunderstorms and floods and like comprehend what that means to like where you are in your life. And, and I spent a lot of time doing stuff like that, which sounds really corny. And I, I understand it sounds like a Hallmark movie, but like it's needed, you know, and, and, you know, I think we often forget, I think the media and, and social media, especially because it's so highlight driven, it's easy to forget the rough patches that are inevitable. In any journey, any time that we pursue something out of the norm, out of our comfort zone, 
there's going to be times of, of discomfort. And why I wanted to ask is, I mean, that's a very, could be isolated, could be devastating period in life. But you obviously laid groundwork in not only relationships, but in self-work that has paid dividends throughout the rest of your life. And it's those little points that you can look back on and be like, oh, well, this happened and this happened and, and that's helped here. And you start connecting all those dots. But without those valleys, you obviously don't appreciate the mountaintops either and, and knowing what you came through to get to certain points. So you you obviously move back out of LA or move back out of Lubbock. Uh, you're still fighting. Mm-hmm. What what was it like the first time you stepped in the ring? When did you first step into the ring professionally for a fight? And what was that like to actually have that shit? I'm here. Well, the so the Lubbock's part of the story was actually like one of the easier parts of my story. And I'd had a couple amateur fights before I left. It was hard to get amateur fights. And the reason I didn't really pursue amateur fighting was because um, like it, it, you don't get paid. Right. And I was a grown woman and I didn't I wasn't young with a family supporting me like I was uh, and you're not getting paid. And, and I showed up to fights and there wasn't any with amateurs. A lot of times you show up and you weigh and you just wait and see if there's somebody there oh. for you to fight in your weight class. And so you've trained all this time and then there might be somebody to fight or there might not be. And that happened a bunch of times. And then eventually I didn't. So I moved back and um, I. Why did you give up at that point? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had stopped before I moved to before I moved to Lubbock. I had made peace with the fact that, like, I probably wasn't going to have a lot an amateur career, that that was not the thing for me. So I moved to Lubbock and I was like, I'm going to get this experience, train like a professional uh, and then I'm going to have some professional fights. I'm going to see what I'm going to see where that goes. But I know that I have the tools to be a world champion. I know that everybody says that I do. And at this point in time, I had this like awakening that like internally I knew that I could. So I did that. So I moved back and I had, you know, I moved back. It was fucking hard. Like I, I started training. So when I moved back was when I started training, that was when I started training people. I started working at a gold's gym and I'd been a member there on and off for many, many years. So it was a comfortable space for me. And it's just, it's something that like I excelled at right away. I really love I'm pretty cerebral by nature. So I really love figuring people out so that the part of like, really, um, I'm really good with people who other people can't reach maybe is the word like that. That's my niche. Like you like finding that sweet spot to figure out what the motivation is or what the, yeah, it's either the pain is too much or the motivation's too great to get them to flip. You like searching for that. Yeah. There's so many different like variables and it's an equation. So like I'm a nerd and that equation is like, the interesting part to me, if I can figure out the equation, then I can unlock all this stuff. And the unlocking is me helping somebody else unlock themselves. And that is like such a great feeling. So I started training and it was cool. And I ended, I had ended this relationship I'd been in and I started seeing somebody. And at the time, um, it's, it felt, it felt good. And he was really into the boxing and he was like, I'll I'll help you train and I'll do all this stuff. And what ended up happening within the year of me getting back is that I ended up in this relationship with this person who was really abusive and it didn't start out like that. It just, and I found myself in this space and, you know, I've lived in four countries. I've been by myself since I was 15. Like I'm a really independent woman. I come from, you know, a background with my family, there was like abuse in my background. So I was always the person that women and my friends would call and be like, this is happening. I'm like, get the fuck out. I'll come get you, whatever. And so all of a sudden I found myself in this thing. And not only am I trying to be a fighter, um, I, I mean, I, so I end up in this relationship and I, I end up in this point with this person who was physically overpowering and he was able to kind of prey on all of the, the parts of me that like, like most abusive men do, they found the parts that he found the pieces of me that like he could kind of like pull at that would make me stay. And it was, it was not like physically abusive at first. It was pretty like just emotionally and mentally. I felt a certain responsibility to take care of him because his friends were kind of like, you know, he's pretty, 
well-known and he had had a history of like drinking. And when we first started dating, he did something fucked up when he was drinking. And I was like, I'm not going to see if you drink. So he stopped drinking and his friends were like, well, he's so great with you. But on the flip side, he's terrible to me, you know, and he had this like mercurial personality. And really, I think he was like bipolar and undiagnosed and had probably gone his whole life like that. Um, not giving him an excuse cause he's a piece of shit. But so I ended up in this relationship and I moved with him and it was just, I moved across the country. And so I moved to Texas and I feel so good because I'm like, I'm pursuing my dream and I'm doing something out of the ordinary and I'm feeling empowered. I'm feeling strong. And I come home and I, everything is good. And then all of a sudden I wake up one day and I'm taking medication to go to sleep because I have so much anxiety that I'm afraid that this guy is going to kill me. And I don't have a cell phone because he takes it from me and he's isolated me from my friends. And like, you know, we've met, I'm pretty like, you know, I'm pretty outgoing. And when I, when I want to be really, but I'm pretty outgoing. And like, you know, so for me, that was a big thing. Like he, I just ended up in this hole. And one day I wake up and I realize that I am living with this monster that I'm physically terrified of and I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm uh, somehow I agree to move with him because he wants to move home. So we, we go, um, I'm telling you all kinds of shit. I just no, I, I'm, I'm so uh, part of me is fascinated because I know you after this. And yeah. I and I know so much of your strength and your personality, but you think about a lot of times when individuals from the stereotypical standpoint, women get in these abusive relationships, you think of them as meek weak. and right. weak. And you're a fucking fighter. Like you're a right. fighter before the relationship and, and at during and after. And so to hear that. I think one has to be encouraging to anyone listening that's going through that similar situation because they're putting all these negative words in their head of what they are when that's not really who they are. Right. And, and on one hand, I had this guy telling me like, you're, and then at a certain point he stopped. He was just like, you know, you're not going to fight. Like, you're not going to do that. And he's in, you know, pumping all of this shit into my head as, and I was so embarrassed. Like I was humiliated because I am strong and I'm smart and I'm, I come from that background and I never was going to be that woman. Like I, I've never been that woman. I'd never been that woman. And I just come from a very loving, healthy relationship. And like, I, I'm in this space and I just, and he was just like a rebound. And somehow I just rebounded into this person who just, fucking terrified me. I mean, I was scared of him. He owned guns and he was scary. Like I was scared he was going to kill me. So I'm, I moved with him and this is part of the story. And this is the part of the story that like, if there's anybody that eventually listens to this, that, and I tell this to, I, so I speak to girls often now, this is my thing. Like I'm really big on mentoring girls and women. Um, and this is the part of, this is, a big part of my story, right? So I'm in this relationship and I feel trapped and I'm scared and I'm humiliated. I'm humiliated because I've let this guy like take everything from me and I'm not working because he's telling me not to work. And I'm like, and then at the certain point I'm not going to the gym because he doesn't want me around other dudes. And I'm just like, I'm just barely making it through every day. Every day is just like fuzzy and scary. And my friends eventually stop asking me if I'm okay. Cause I just kind of drift away. Cause he isolates me from my friends and we go, we move across the country and on the way across the country, we go to visit some of his friends and we, we fly to New York first and we stay with some of his friends. And one of his friends pulls me aside and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, are you sure? And there was something in that, are you sure, that told me that it wasn't because of me personally, but it was because he had had this history. And I was just like, yeah, okay, I'm fine, whatever. And he had like a, he spazzed out while we were there and we were staying with his friends. And I remember we were upstairs and I was, and to this day, I'm still sure that his friend heard something because like, when I saw his friend later, it was a guy, it was a family we we're staying with. 
he looked at me in this way that like told me that he knew what the fuck had gone on. He knew that maybe he didn't know that the dude had choked me, but he knew that like something had happened. And when I realized that somebody looked at me and saw that something had happened to me, but also was choosing to just ignore it, that was like, like I, I just kind of lost all sense of any hope really. And so I'm in this place where I, I'm just, I'm whatever about everything. I'm indifferent to everything. I'm indifferent to living. I'm indifferent to dying. I'm indifferent to anything. I'm just existing and I'm, depressed and I'm scared and I'm humiliated and I'm all of these things. And so we go from there to this place that he chooses because he's now all of a sudden he feels terrible. So he wants to take me on a vacation. So he takes me to this place that he chooses. That's this horrible. I mean, I'm sure it's not horrible, whatever. It's this expensive, expensive resort in like North Carolina. And if you know me, you know that like North Carolina is the last place I'm going to go on a vacation. I want to go to a beach. I want to sit by a pool in the sun and just get a suntan. Like this is all I want. I want to read in the sun. So he takes me to North Carolina and we're at this expensive, expensive hotel. And it's us, a bunch of really old white people, like just driving Bentleys up to the place and it's whatever. So we're there. And when I, he starts to argue with me and he, he threatens me and he said, well, you know, he said something about, well, I, you could just leave. And I said, you know what? I could leave. I have a friend who lives in, and I, I don't remember what it was. I have a friend who was in hip hop who I'd met who lives in like Raleigh or something. And this is in Asheville. Now I know that that is far, but I also know that that motherfucker would drive to come get me if I needed him come get me just because we're friends. And I said this and it pissed him off and he threw me against a wall and I just started, I broke down. I just started sobbing and, um, and that happened. So then I, I kind of was just like sore and I, I felt some, you know, whatever. So we finished the next day. He's apologetic, just like always the next day. Every It's always, I'm so sorry. I'm the worst thing ever. I love you so much. You're, you're everything to me. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me. I can't live without you. Like all of those things that you see in these corny movies, motherfuckers really do that. That is what like, that is what an abusive relationship looks like. It's this push and pull of like, I hate you. You're terrible. And I love you. I can't live without you. You're the best thing that ever happened to me. And that like up and down is part of what is so hard with that because it's emotionally exhausting. You end up in this space where you're phys- I was physically exhausted because I was always worried that he was going to do something to me when I slept. So I was physically exhausted, but I was also emotionally exhausted. Um, so we get to, we leave there and we get to, where we're moving. We moved to Florida. He was from Florida and I was there for a while and it was just terrible. Like he owned a bunch of guns and he has this fucked up family situation. And it was just like, it was just terrible and I'm not pursuing my dream. Right. So I'm not. And part of why he and I had gotten along was because he was like, you know, I'll train with you. We'll be, I'll help you. Like, it's great. I love that you're a fighter. Like, and so I'm in this space and I find myself in Florida and I've moved all my stuff there and my dog and like everything. And I'm terrified of him. I can't sleep at night. He has guns. He's like friends with the cops. Like, it's just like the worst situation ever. And one day we get into an argument and I was like, I'm going to leave. And I had like really run down all of my savings and I had basically no money left, but I bought a one-way ticket to LA and I didn't have my phone. He had broken my phone. So I knew like two phone numbers off the top of my head. And I called my best friend, the one who had moved with me to Texas. And she was not really talking to me at the time because she was really angry because he, she knew he was a piece of shit <laughs> and like was, had stopped talking to me a couple of months before. And I called her and I said, I'm flying in. I get in at this time and I'm sobbing. And I said, I need you to pick me up, please. And, um, I landed with a suitcase and I lost my whole life in that situation. So I lost everything. He eventually shipped my dog back to me, but I ended up losing my dog because of that situation, which broke my heart. Um, and I just like, I started, I had to restart my life. So I'm in LA, I'm staying with my friend. 
Um, she has two kids and she's a single mom. So I stay with her and I take the kids to school and then I started working and I started training. And that was one of the things I was working at this place called iron. They just opened, I helped them open. And, um, I started training again. I started boxing and there was, I didn't tell a lot of people that I was back. I was like embarrassed and I was scared because he knew people and I was really afraid that, um, something was going to happen to me. And then at one point in time, I, I reached out to, I have a really good friend who lives in Philadelphia and he's in boxing. And I called him and I said, Hey, I really don't want to go back to wildcard right now. I need a trainer. And my friend's name is Malik and he's one of my best friends. We've been friends for a really long time and he didn't really know what was going on. But I said, um, I need a trainer. I don't really want to go back to wildcard. What can I do? And he said, you know, I know this guy, I think, he used to train Layla Ali. You should call him. And um, here's his number. He's like, I, I, he's like, he's the best trainer in boxing is what he said. He's like, he's an old school guy. He knows the most. He was like, you should call him. So I called. And then in that same call, he said, and you know, you need to call Freddie. I saw him in Las Vegas and he asked me about you. He wants to know that you're okay. So you need to call Freddie. And so the next day I called Freddie and his brother had just passed away. And I'd met his brother. His brother had actually been really nice to me. So it was just this little roundabout way of like, Freddie was like, are you okay? You know, you're always welcome at the gym. Please come back. Um, But I just didn't feel like I was ready to do that. So I called this trainer and I was like, listen, I'm getting my life together. This is what I'm doing. I really want to box. And he said, well, Malik speaks very highly of you. He said, you're very talented. Um, Why don't you come out here and he told me where he was training, but it was so far. It was like an hour outside of like, it would take me at least an hour to get there. And I was like, I just can't do that right now. And he said, okay, cool, whatever. So time goes on. I'm just training at my gym that I'm working at. And, uh, I'm decide I'm going to fight in the golden gloves and they're coming up. So there's, yeah, the golden gloves are coming up. So I decide I'm going to, I'm like, I want to turn pro, but I'm going to, fight in the golden gloves. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to fight in this tournament. I'm going to see how I do in this tournament. And then, and it just gave me a goal and I'm goal oriented. And I, I just needed, I needed something that I could accomplish because I felt like I had been stripped of everything. So I set this goal and at the gym, there was, um, the owner had a friend who used to be a boxer when he was younger and he was training with me. He's from Ohio and he's great. And he was just like, training with me, but not really a coach, but he like, he used to fight. So he kind of knew what he was doing. And he, you know, he was run with me and his name's Lyle. He's the greatest dude. And he, you know, he was like, all right, we're going to fight in the golden gloves, whatever. And so I started sparring and I went back to wild card to start sparring and I'm sparring one day. It's a week before the golden gloves. And, and I know this is a long story, but it all gets no, to like on. everything that I'm doing. So I'm finding I'm sparring and I get injured. I leave the ring and I can barely breathe and I can't tell what's going on, but my chest hurts and like my back hurts. And I was like, man. So, and I have a really like high pain threshold. Sorry if anything's dinging here. Um, this is my client texting me his meals. Cause I told him he needed to text me his meals and he never does. So he actually did. I'm quite pleased with this. Uh, so he, um, so I'm fighting and I'm injured. I don't know what to do. And someone's like, you need to go to a masseur. So I went to a masseur, um, get a massage the next day. And the, she, the woman was like, you know, I think you have some ribs out in your back. And I didn't even know this could happen. Like, I'm like, what are you talking about ribs out in your back? She's like, well, they slide into your spine. Like they can slide out. She's like, it doesn't usually happen. But I, I she's like, I don't want to do anything. You should go to a chiropractor. So the golden gloves were on the weekend. The, you had to weigh in on a Wednesday on the Monday. I went to the chiropractor and I, I go and he was like, yeah, you have some ribs out in your back. And he said, you know, this is really strange because, and I was like asking all these questions because, and I don't know if anybody listening, like, I didn't even know that could happen. I didn't understand that like your ribs in your back, they basically just slide into the, the parts in your spine that stick out. So they kind of just slide in they hook in. And so he said, you know, there's three of them. He's like, I'm going to slide him back in. He slides the bottom two in and he's like, 
And it doesn't hurt like it, it because there's no. But what he said was it's very strange because you have a lot of muscle in your back. And normally I see this in like older people because they lack the muscle to hold them in kind of and in a car accident or something. They'll come out. And then he gets to the top one. It was the T357. I always remember. And he gets to the three and he said, you know, this is going to hurt. This has been out for a while. What happened to you? And it's on my right side. And I was like, well, I'm a boxer. I think, you know, my, my right arm, sometimes my right hand hurts. And he and he touches in. It. It's like right beneath the scapula. And I was like, yeah, that. And I was like, I always thought it was just my right hand. He's like, no, that's because your rib has been out under your th- scapula. And there's scar tissue formed around it to hold it in place now. But it's been out for a long time. And I realized that in that exact second, like when you said, like when you realize shit, like this is one of those things where that exact second I realized that when I got thrown against the wall, my back hurt and it was that exact place. And so one of my ribs got knocked out when I got thrown against a wall. And I had been walking around for the better part of a year with one of my ribs out of place and it hurt, but I have a high pain threshold and I'm a grin and bear it type of girl. And like, also like, I was so emotionally destroyed and physically destroyed that it almost was like, I didn't even notice that it was an unnecessary pain because I was in so much just turmoil and pain. So he said, I'm going to put it back in. It's going to hurt. I'm telling you this right now, but you'll be fine. And like, it's no big deal. Like you'll heal, you'll be fine. So he puts it back in. It was excruciating pain because he had to break through scar tissue. And he was like, you know, you'll be fine. He's like, you're, you know, he's like, you have muscle in your back. Like, this is not going to happen again. Don't worry. This is going to happen again. And he was like, well, you know, what's the deal? And I said, well, and when I done, I'd kind of torqued. So one of the ribs on my sternum had popped up too, which I also didn't realize that like your ribs can just pop out of your sternum and they can just put them back in. Like they just kind of like, it's crazy. It's the human body is amazing and resilient, but also insane. So <laughs> He puts this one in the sternum and all of a sudden I can breathe again. I realized that that was why I couldn't breathe because one of my ribs was kind of like not attached to my sternum. And he puts it in. He's like, well, you know, what's the deal? And I said, well, it's the golden gloves in like three days. And he was like, you can't, what are you talking about? Like, he was like, well, yeah, you need to let this heal a little bit. Like I just broke scar tissue in your back. And I was like, yeah, but it feels better already. And he was like, no, 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 no. Like, Don't do that. What are you talking about? I was like, well, in theory, if I fight, could it come out again? And he was like, well, maybe if you torque it just because there's, he was like, just because it hasn't been in place for very long. He was like, let it heal for six weeks and you'll be fine. But, um, I fought in the golden gloves. I (laughs) I won the state and, um, I won the tournament and, uh, it was the best night of my life. Like it was like, I, and that was the second that I like overcame all of that. So that was the moment that like, I just knew what I was capable of and I wasn't holding on to that pain anymore. And so there's this great analogy with that. And I tell this to a lot of my clients and I tell this to a lot of the girls that I mentor, cause there's so many people that are walking around with trauma, right? That you can be in this place where you carry this trauma with you and you're tough or you're strong or you've gotten accustomed to this, whatever that trauma is, you've gotten accustomed to that particular way it feels and the weight of it. And it isn't until it's lifted that you can understand what you've been bearing all this time and how heavy it's been and how hard it's been. But it's also that time when you can kind of assess what you've been carrying around is when you can understand your capabilities, right? Because then I can understand that like been walking around for a year with one of my ribs not attached to my spine and I've been boxing and I've been sparring and I've been working full time and I've been trying to get my life together. I've been doing all this and I've been going to therapy and I've been going to counseling. Like I've been doing all of these things but I was just trying to tough it out. And the second that that was put back in, I realized that like, okay, that's what that pain was. And that little metaphor there, I think like applies to almost everything in life. It certainly applies to a lot of things that we do physically and a lot of, a lot of ways that we kind of like hold ourselves back physically from achieving things that we don't think we're capable of achieving. I love that. I love that. Okay. So, 
You got every mentally you're back. You're fighting. You won. Transition. You did some MMA fighting. And, I had one. Yeah. yeah, you had a fight. And then, you know, now you are the celebrity trainer. Like, <laughs> how, how did you go from the gloves to fighting to then having an MMA fight to being one of the go-to people out there to train people and help them both physically and mentally get ready for some of them a role of a lifetime? A lot of them, yeah. Well... When I was boxing, I was still working and I was training on the side, but the deal with women's boxing is you don't make any money. And now it's getting a little more attention, but like I fought five times one year and I actually trained for seven fights. I had two fights cancel, one the day of the fight. Like I showed up to the fight with my gear and they were canceling the whole promotion. Uh. And then another one was no, another two fights. So I, I trained for eight training camps within a year, 12 months. I had eight training camps. I was supposed to fight eight times. I fought five. Um, two of them, the, the, you know, something happened in the way and the girls couldn't weigh in or whatever. They didn't make weight. So I did that. I didn't make any money. So over the course of like close to two years, like I just didn't make any money. And I found myself in this position of, I mean, debt. my life is like not, it's not functioning because I've just been pursuing this goal of like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And the crazy thing was when I had started boxing, this was like pre Ronda Rousey. Like I, I knew Ronda when she very first started, cause I had already been boxing and I'd always been saying like, somebody could market a woman. Like we're way more marketable than men. Women buy stuff. And there's a whole audience of people that would watch women fight. So even if men don't want to watch women fight, Women wouldn't mind watching women fight and they will buy stuff. And they will buy stuff. And, and nobody boxing is such an antiquated sport and nobody could grasp that and get that. My last fight, I was the main event in Hollywood. I sold out the building in Hollywood. I was on the, I was on the billboard. Like I, I was, I've had celebrities at my matches, like all of these things. I still didn't make any money because nobody would give you any money. Like your, your purses, I get offered a title. I got offered one title fight on two weeks notice and they were going to give me $2,500, $2,500. So now women are making a little bit more, some of the women on television, but it's not enough to justify like giving your whole life. So at this point in time, you know, I'm 34 years old, 30 and I'm, and I've put my whole life into this thing that I was sure was going to happen. And it just didn't. And I just found myself in this place. Like, so I started working and one of the jobs that I had, I was working for this guy, Dr. Heisinga, who's the doctor from the biggest loser. And he had like an inpatient clinic basically called the clinic. And it was essentially like the biggest loser, but he sent a lot of his clients. He's a Beverly Hills doctor. And we had a lot of celebrities and kind of like very wealthy people come through and a lot of just great people that came that really wanted to change their lives. Um, and I ended up being the lead trainer there after some time and he and I had very disparate opinions about um, health. Like he's very stuck in 1985 where he thinks you need to do four hours of cardio a day. And I was like, but um, it was sort of via that, that I got the opportunity to train Rosamond Pike for gone girl. And that opportunity came um, really short notice. It was two weeks. It was, Hey, it was me and there was a girl, she actually lives in Texas, um, Sophia, who was the chef at the clinic. And it was, hey, do you guys, we need, you know, somebody needs something for a movie. Holly, do you think you could train her? Sophia, could you do the nutrition? And she couldn't do the nutrition. And so I took on this job and it was, I had two weeks to get her ready. And it was a situation where you had to meet and see if you vibed and if she liked me. And um, we just clicked. She's lovely. And it, it worked out well. And the role was really physically demanding. So she had to gain weight and then they shot the scenes where she was kind of heavier. And then she had to lean out and she had 10 days to lean out. And then she had to shoot all those scenes. And then she had another reshoot. So she had to gain the weight again. So like that up and down, I understand that cause I'm a boxer. So I know how to like put weight on you. I know how to put muscle on you. I know how to put water weight on you. I know how to take that off you. I know how to lean you out if you need to. I know I know how to do that without having to do four hours of cardio a day. 
Um, and she and I just ended up working together. And so from there it's parlayed into other opportunities. My like word of mouth referral is where I get things. And now I'm in a position where, I mean, I could, I don't know. I'm a little, I only work with people I like as human beings. So I made this decision a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago that, um, I wasn't going to work with people for money. I was only going to work with people that I legitimately like as humans and um, that add value to me as a human and my life. And so I've been doing that and it's great. Like I love my, every one of my clients I love, I'm spending the holidays with all of them. Um, You know, I'm there with their kids. Like I just, I, I like everyone as, as people and I mean, it's probably speaks something of me as well. Like with my personality that I get I can adapt, which works in Hollywood too. And I think there's a part of me that, cause I don't have aspiration of like fame. Like fame has never been something that has been enticing to me. Um, being famous doesn't seem that fun to me. So I'm probably one of the few people in LA who like, doesn't try to get more attention. And by being like that, I think that it, it gives me a grounding that I think a lot of people want to be around. Basically there's a lack of that here. There's a little bit of a lack of that there. I I love the fact that you've seen that fame up close. Uh, and you've, I mean, that's a big pull for a lot of people to be, want to be in that spotlight. And one of the things I, I saw online before we got on the show that I just absolutely loved was a quote you had about success. And, and you'd done it for an interview when you talked about success is all relative and happiness is purely personal. But the second you stop chasing either and start living to make change for others who aren't as fortunate as you will be the exact moment both of the former will come to you. Hashtag not all heroes wear capes. That's my slogan. That is it. Not all heroes wear capes. We all have that ability. We all have that ability to like make change in people's lives. And I think sometimes you forget like the ripple effect that you can have. And I know you do that. I know I fuck with your company because I like what you stand for. And I'm like that with, I'm like that with the people I work with. I'm like that with with the brands that I work with. I don't, you're not going to find me selling hawking protein. I don't believe in. You're not going to find me selling shit that I don't like. You're not going to find me taking pictures with other people just because I think they're cool. I don't take selfies with my clients and supposedly I'm supposed to be, but like, I don't, I train (laughs) I train really famous people. I don't care. Like I have keys to their houses. I don't need to do that. You know, like it's a personal relationship and I only do things. And I think that by doing that, it's, it's afforded me this space to always be authentic. And it's funny because the social media thing is something that like, I figured we would get around and talk about that. Like, I have really strong opinions about it. Like I have a real hard time with social media because I'm really private by nature and I really don't like what social media is doing in a lot of aspects. In a lot of ways, I've met amazing people. I've met some of my best friends in life somehow via social media. Like there is a lot of connecting points there that are really dope and it can be used to make change. It can be used to connect you to people. And that's, incredible but in a lot of ways at least within like say the fitness industry for example um i i don't buy anything that any of the fitness people on social media on instagram sell like i don't want to fuck with them because they're corny because they're inauthentic and because they don't come off as good human beings and also most of them are not that intelligent like let's be very real like they come off as people who want to be something else but they're not talented enough to do it so like you want to be an actress but you're cute and you're thin and you can flex your six pack oh i can show you how to get in shape like can you really or do you know how to get in shape and you want to make money and you want attention like and i think it's it's pretty clear when you see those people, but it's unfortunate because I think that the industry has kind of suffered because of that, because we're now we're in this place where everything is like instant gratification, aesthetic base. And 
you know, all of that ties in with, you know, surgery and all of those things, which also come into play as well. So if we were to look back a hundred years on your life and, and your training career, how do you want your legacy to be written? What do you want your clients to say about you? And, and who really cares what everyone else says about you? What do you want your clients to have said about you? Um, well, I'm, and I'll tell you more about this. Like I'm building a couple programs and I'm working on some projects that are, I want to provide encouragement and information and the platform and the space for people who consider themselves other to become a badass physically, mentally, emotionally, like connect all spiritually. So all three or four of those things connect them all. Like I want to be a person who empowers other people to take control of their life. And by doing that, they encourage other people to do that. And I'm not saying I want to be a fitspo and I'm not saying I want to inspire people with like corny mantras and like made up fucking slogans. Like I just want to, I want to make change in the world. Like I want a little Brown girl growing up in Canada to know that it's okay to be smart and it's okay to be multifaceted. It's okay to be tattooed and it's okay to be weird and it's okay to have a body that doesn't look like everybody else. And it's okay to be all of these things and still be a fucking badass and still make, and still have a space in the world to do better and still have a space in the world to value yourself and value other people. I just think that that is something that is like, it's so unfortunate, but it's everything. And because everything is surface level, it's easy for people to be like, I want to inspire people. I want to motivate people. But like, if you're not actually making change and if you're not actively like really powering that, you're almost countering it with all of the moves that you're doing. And I think there's a lot of that going on right now. Real talk. I love it. I love it. Holly, this has been, this has been so much more fun. I, I knew <laughs> we were going to have a blast, uh, but this has been just an, a very inspiring talk, but Thank you. Uh, just awesome. I appreciate your honesty and, and rawness uh, tonight, just being willing to share your story. And I, I love it because stories matter and, and all of our individual stories matter. And it's, it's individuals like you that have the courage to talk about those valleys and those tough times and, and where you've gotten to now that can give that hope and that bright light to individuals going through that same spot so that they realize they're not the only person going through it and that there is opportunity to rise. So thank you for that. If anybody wants to connect with you, if they want to check out what you're about, where can they find you online? Um, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Lil Bear Lawson, L-I-L-B-E-A-R-L-A-W-S-O-N. Uh, in the first two weeks in January, I will be a guest on the action Bronson show, which should be amazing. Awesome. So this, this <laughs> um, should go live, uh, January 2nd. So you're going to be the first episode oh, cool. of 2018. So if that is the case, uh, everybody tune in and start checking it out. Yes. Thank you. And I have, um, a couple clients that I'm working on projects with. So my client, Alexandra ship, you guys know her as storm in the X-Men. Uh, I'm working on some superhero stuff with her. So she and I are going to be launching some fitness challenges together and I would love people to participate. Maybe you guys can get involved. That would be yeah. really cool. Um, and then I have us, an artist whose name's Eric, Derek Lou. He and I are launching another, like it's a training challenge kind of, he's young and pretty fit, but we're, we're buffing him up a little and I want to kind of encourage people to join along with that. And then I have a podcast launching in the end of January. It'll kind of be personal stories. Um, I love it. So when you yeah. get, when that goes live, you're going to message me so I can share it in our email newsletter as well as in our, and you're going to come be a guest. Cause I think that you're mad inspiring. I would love to be on your show. So I want to talk to you about your business and like where you started and, it's interesting because I, like, I follow your business because I met you and you were start launching this business and I was like, oh, that's cool. And I like the slogan, like I like the aspect of competing every day, and I like, I like the things that you stand for. So like, 
there's very few people that I, I, I feel like that on social media, you know, but I like your company and I'm so proud of the growth that you've had. And it's interesting to me because I have a very tenuous relationship with like CrossFit. Like I have some pretty strong opinions about it. And I feel like you're like pretty, like, like your brand is very strongly based in that. Right. But there's an aspect to it that I also like, I respect so much. And I'm just like, it's pretty dope. Like, and we, we just need more of that. Like we need more of that. And also, I mean, always, if I can clothe people, if you need placement, like I got you're you. You're amazing. Well, Holly, uh, we are going to link to all your links. Uh, when your challenges go live, we will be sharing them in our email blast as well as on our free Facebook group. Uh, thank you incredibly for coming on the show tonight. Anytime. I really appreciate it. It was fun. That's it for another episode of the Better Than Yesterday podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. I I appreciate you as a listener. I appreciate each member of the Compete community, and I'm glad that you tuned in this week, and hopefully you found some value in what we shared and who we brought on and just all the types of content we're out sharing. So if you got feedback, like I said, shoot us a note directly to podcast at competeeveryday.com. Connect with us on social media. Say hi. Tell us you found the podcast. We love connecting with new members of the community. We want to welcome you. uh, We want to find ways to connect you and equip you with ways that you can be better than yesterday. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.